Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along, it's Rob Riles welcoming you to another program. Now in today's edition, I'm uh, really fortunate that we have a guest, somebody that I've been interested in getting on the podcast for some time. Uh, He's a young coach, he's definitely in my opinion pioneering and uh, he's got a great story to tell. I get the impression he's extremely humble, which is um, something that really resonates with with leader, manager, coach. But I'd like you to um, have a listen to uh, Blaine McKenna. Now, Blaine is a UEFA A licensed coach. Um, he's coached in the USA, Africa, Asia, Oceania, in Europe. And I'm sure he'll put me right if I've missed anything off. I believe he's worked in coach education as well as working in professional leagues. And he's been an academy director. And he's got a wealth of experience at a young age, and he's also an author. And uh, this year, he's had a book out called Coaching Abroad, How Eight Coaches Got Jobs and Succeeded Worldwide. So an awful lot done in a, in a short period of time. So welcome, Blaine McKenna. Welcome, Blaine, to Leader Manager Coach. Thank you for having me. I'm very looking forward to this chat. I'm excited. Always good to chat football, cultures, and we've both been in the same boat, so it'll be good to chat. Absolutely. Well, look, Blaine, what I'd like to do is, um, I mean, I've had the fortune of getting a, a copy of your book and, and um, reading a little bit about how you got into coaching. But I think having a little bit of background about, you, you know, your early life, obviously from from Northern Ireland and um, just a little bit about yourself. So and then we'll lead up into how, how you actually got into to coaching in the first place. So, yeah, fire away. Yeah, like like many people, I mean, as soon as I could walk, I was kicking a football. So my whole life just revolved around football. And then eventually you reach a stage where you play at a good level and stuff, but you realize you're not become a professional. And at that stage, I didn't see coaching or football as a real career because like where I live, there weren't very many full-time coaches in Northern Ireland. And there weren't really many role models to aspire to because kind of before social media and things, the only real role models you saw were on TV at the top top level. And that was kind of not a realistic objective for a lot of people. So just as time went past, like my mum encouraged me to go to university. So I went there. I wasn't very good academically, but as soon as I started learning about sport, like linked to science and things, that's when I really got a buzz from it. And I progressed through there. And that's when I got an opportunity at the end of my first year at sports science degree. I got an opportunity to go and coach in America. And then I saw so many people in America in full-time jobs, people like me. And then I realized that, this was a real career. This is something you can really build towards. And as soon as I came back from there, set myself the goal of working in five countries and become the academy director of a professional club abroad. And then after doing my master's degree, I set off and coached in Kuwait for Arsenal soccer schools in the Middle East. And that was kind of my first full-time venture abroad. And from there, just doors open. You know how it is, doors open. And kind of here I am today after working in 11 countries and five five continents. Okay, what an interesting question. Why five countries, Blaine? Any I reason? don't know. It's just it's just because before I went to America, I'd never really been, I'd never traveled much because when we went on holiday, it was just around kind of the mainland of Ireland. We never really ventured too far. And then as soon as I, re- I went to America and I just, it kind of hit, the travel bug got me, traveling to different places, learning about new things. It just, it was all very exciting. 
And then I came back, I kind of just set these countries, I had it in my mind. Like in my study, I put pictures of the countries I want to work in and had like pictures of them. So visually I was kind of picturing myself doing this. And there's obviously pros and cons to that in terms of working towards long-term goals. I wasn't really living in the moment of where I was, but like I had so much ambition. I was young. I wanted to travel the world like through football. And I realized that this was a real opportunity for me to do it. And like, it's been it's been a life-changing experience. So football and travel were two things that that came together um that as a as a synergy created the the opportunity for you and, and the drive and and the pull really for you to to go on that on that journey that is that that pretty true yeah and i think it was just perfect timing as well because it was coming at a stage where more opportunities were starting to appear abroad in terms of whereas years before it might not have been easy as easy to do it but the world's a bit it became a bit more of a smaller place before before covid yeah. And then more opportunities were opened up. So it's just kind of the, it came at the perfect, the perfect time. And yeah, combining those two things, like we're so fortunate that football is a global game. It can take you anywhere in the world. And the thing is like in my bubble in Northern Ireland, I was never going to make a full-time career out of it. It was going to be very difficult. Whereas as soon as I started opening my mind to different ideas, different countries, that's when the opportunities started to present themselves. And yeah, it's been an amazing journey. So I'm, I do know that one of the ways that young coaches uh, and it's often young players who may or may not be or who probably are just below or this is the common story from my experience young players who are at or about academy stroke professional level maybe haven't made it maybe have struggled um and look for opportunities and, and the opportunity to coach in the USA is something that's, you know, a relatively common pathway, Blaine. Although, as we've already talked about, not everybody is courageous enough, let's be blunt about it, to actually take the jump and leave home and family. But you obviously did that. What was that initial experience like of, of coaching in the States as a, you know, as a young green um guy who who's you know just getting going in his coaching career what was that like yeah it was it was really exciting because it was just for the summer so it was only like a month or two but going out there like we're coaching a different place every week we're traveling around we're seeing different towns and just like the kind of experiences the people you met like like-minded people from coaching i've never really experienced that before in my environment back at home so like that was exciting itself and then like, i was coaching in montreal and canada as well just like one of the big cities I went down coaching near New York City and the family I stayed with in Connecticut, they organized like a helicopter flight all over New York City for me. And that was just like, that just completely blew my mind. I was like, yeah, yeah. this is the, this is the career for me. This is all right. You know, these kind of things all the time. So yeah, it was like, it was really exciting. And the main thing was it just opened my mind that yeah. there are opportunities out there because before that, I didn't believe it was a real career. And that was, that was a big turning yeah. point. Yeah, no, it, it, it's great. And, and, and it's a, it, it's a great little story. Um, so at that point, in terms of your coach education, for those who are listening and, and people are thinking, do you know what, Blimey, he, you know, this is something I kind of like to look into. Had you got your A license at this point or were you kind of still on the journey towards that? When I first went to America, I was only 18. So I was, I'd done the level two yeah. and I was just at the end of the first year at university. But in terms of going to America, it was quite a good place to go because culturally it didn't take as much of an adaptation. Like the main thing for me was just living away from home for an extended period for the first time. That was kind of the biggest, the biggest challenge. And also actually language as well, like the language you use in terms of like soccer, cleats, the terminologies are very different. 
Because I remember one time I asked a young boy to go and tackle someone and he wiped them out with an American football tackle because that was yeah. just completely... And I was like, wow. So yeah, it just made me realise the importance of having a common language and things. So that was, that was an eye-opener. Yeah, that, that that's great. I mean, I think there's a... Look, people can use all kinds of psychological excuses why not to do something. And, you know, I think, look, as much as you're humble about it, the fact that you just decided to jump into it at 18, you, you were a level two coach, um, you just decided to take that step. It, it, it's a massive lesson. Um, but uh, no, it, it's absolutely great. And obviously that gave you the 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 bug, if you like, to travel and to, and, and, and to further your coaching. So um, where did you go next? What was it next? So I came back and then I had a couple of years to finish my degrees and things at university. So then I finished my sports science degree and then finished my master's degree. And then I got my B license during that time as well. And that's when three days after presenting my master's research, I went to Kuwait in the Middle East with Arsenal, Arsenal soccer schools. And like even before that, there was so much doubt around it. Like two months before I was due to land there, a mosque got blown up by terrorists. Yeah. And everyone's yeah. like, like, you can't go there. It's not safe. And that was basically due to media propaganda at the time so yeah it was just it was a real eye-opening experience because it's it's very different in terms of going to america there are there are adaptations you need to make in things but going to the middle east was very very different culturally mm, absolutely absolutely and when you were doing your um sports science was that something that um you thought you may go down that track i'm because obviously there's similarities and and, and and there's a coaching aspect you know to or involvement in that um were, were you maybe thinking that more down the sports science route at that point or were, were you open to to anything yeah well, this, the thing that was so good about the sports science was it taught you a number of different disciplines so you're looking at like exercise metabolism nutrition biomechanics sports psychology strength and conditioning so that was a real great underpinning in terms of it made me realize what I was really passionate about and what I wanted to specialize in for my master's degree. And it also helps as well when you work in professional clubs with multi multidisciplinary teams, you can kind of understand different elements of it. Yeah. So yeah. I came through that and then I realized it was kind of a, it was a toss up whether the master's degree in sports nutrition or the master's degree in sports psychology. And for me, just like sports psychology extends into all areas of life and it links so closely to coaching. And that was the thing that, I was most passionate about and that that passion still burns alive today yeah 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 okay brilliant and then so after kuwait um went to bay beijing right. so that was a kind of coach educator position so as you go across the journey like you start as a football coach you build more experiences and things and like the most exciting thing about that was obviously i'd heard of beijing the olympics and things it was kind of one of those like iconic type cities and it was also an opportunity to deliver coach education with Premier Premier Skills, which mm. was a link between the, the Premier League and the British Council. So that was kind of one of the things that excited me a bit to do a bit of work. And like that was at the beginning of the boom of Chinese football as well. So that's when all the top players were starting to go there. There was yeah. more money being pumped into the game because the president of the country had changed the, the plan to host and win the World Cup. So there was lots of schools around the country were investing heavily in football. There was a massive surge of coaches going there and it was... Yeah, it was it was an exciting time in Chinese Chinese football. And one of the things that I've read about in your book, and um, you've already touched on, and I want to kind of bring out a little bit further, is the language. Um, so in Kuwait, I believe that there was quite a, a good um, ability from the 
for the Kuwaitis to speak English. Um, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but in China, that was a little bit of a different issue. Is that correct, Blaine? Yeah, and then again, so I said America was a quite smooth transition. Kuwait was to an extent as well because everyone spoke English because a lot of people that worked in the shops were foreigners and they, they spoke really good English. And it's just the way I was looked after there and things was very comfortable. But when I went to Beijing, that was the first time I'd had a real culture shock in terms of just the way life was in Beijing. Everything was very hectic. People had to get places. It was very, very chaotic. And the language, it was the first time I worked with translator as well. And like it, it was brilliant because we had like 18 full-time like European coaches. So it was, right. it was a great learning environment. You're surrounded by great coaches that are aspiring to go yeah. on the great things. Yeah. And many of them have in the, in the professional game. So and that was a great experience. And like, there's one translator I had, this guy, Kevin, was brilliant. The first time I met him was, was in the back of a taxi. And I, I knew I was in trouble right away because he didn't understand a word I was saying. <laughs> thick my thick accent and like he fell asleep on my shoulder as well so he fell asleep in the back of the car on my shoulder and we, we went into the session and i was trying to explain to them like like our session design is very good because we don't have to pick up any cones to transition in the between exercises everything's arranged next thing i turn around he's asked all the kids to run around and pick up all the cones and i had to I had to set the whole session no. again but like that's my fault like if i'm not clear enough for him to understand me that's ultimately my fault and yeah, it's a great, great experience. Learn a translator. It helps you be more concise, develop a common language and try and use visual visual techniques as well. So use tactics, boards, cones. And then also, yeah, just you got to explain. You get really well organized to explain things. But like, it's, it's a great experience. Absolutely. And I resonate very much, Blaine, with what you say there. Having, when I was in Bangladesh, um, the the one or two of the, the local coaches spoke one or two words but the players the young boys they didn't speak a word of English and it really challenges you in your coach communication to it and, and initially you're thinking wow this is a struggle but you have to develop strategies don't you to get your your message over and it really I found that such a real positive um I just used to, I, I developed uh buzzwords I learned um odd odd key phrases that that you know that I could um and I don't know about you but it, it develops a great deal it, I probably got more respect from that than I did from anything else really just the fact that they thought wow you know is you know and they used to laugh at me so it broke the ice because I'd say in you know um in in Bangla I'd say you know whatever I was just you know um things like um close down or or um, you know, right, switch on or, or maybe one or two things. And obviously there's a little connotation of whether it's correct or not, but whether it was or not, the lads loved it, you know, and it helps, yeah? Yeah, and it shows me you want to stay there long-term as well because there's so many foreigners coming to the countries, they want short-term contracts to make money or to use the position to springboard them onto other things. But like, if you're respecting their culture, if you're learning their language, then they'll buy into it a lot more and you can create that direct connection. And you can also bypass the translator sometimes if it's like basic basic things because obviously translation takes a long time if you're doing it every single time so yeah it's definitely creates that culture and breaks breaks the ice uh, so just touching on culture um look it is a massive thing and th there's a definitely a need to understand the culture that you're going into you you talk about that in in your book and i've 
experienced coaches who struggled with 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 culture or didn't want to couldn't i don't know didn't embrace if that's the right word blaine um it obviously you know yourself you you you've obviously you know bought into that in a big way otherwise you wouldn't have, have had the experiences you've had what was that like um and in in somewhere like china which you know i mean culturally you know people would say well they're, they're pretty not 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 a hundred percent opposite to, to to the uk but there's there's obvious differences isn't there yeah there's there's huge differences and like again that's that's one of the main reasons coaches fail abroad is because they don't respect the culture like they come into a country and they expect to do things exactly the way it's done at home. And if you approach it that way, you can't get the best out of the local people. And if you can't get the best out of the local people in these roles, you can't succeed because yeah. the vast majority of people you work with, the players, local staff, like you need them to buy into you as a person and get them on side. Otherwise, yeah. you have absolutely zero chance yeah. of succeeding. So like the starting point for me and like, as you get older, as you experience more cult, different cultures, you make mistakes. Like in the Middle East, I went to shake a woman's hand, which you shouldn't be doing in the Middle East. It's only when she offers her hand to you. Right. Like how you, how you greet people, the starting point. Yeah. Like that's massive. When you meet the president of the club, you got to approach him in a certain way. Otherwise, you'd be the first playing home. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's just understanding these things because like you need to understand, respect it. That's a starting point. And then build a connection with the people because – when a foreigner comes in, they might have never worked with a foreigner before, so they might feel like under their jobs under threat, yes. or they might have ex had negative experiences in the past, and they're not as trusting when people come from other countries. So the main thing is is develop a human connection with them first, because only then will they buy into your ideas. You can't come with ideas to come and show who you are as a person, and then eventually they'll buy try and buy into what you're trying to do. But even in your first session, like if you go into a, a local school in China. And you start asking questions, you're going to be met with silence, and you're not going to get anything from that session right. because their education system—they've been sitting in the classroom. That's a one-way process. The teacher gives them all the information that they retain. Like they don't—they don't ask questions, they don't answer questions. There's no group work. Wow. So right, right away, that has a massive impact on your coaching environment, and then also just the the saving face and the hierarchies, all these kind of things. All of this plays in, feeds into your environment, and you need to understand that because you can make change in terms of. The national culture is there to be respected. Within your environment, you can change things, but it takes time because in Asia, in many parts of Asia, their idea of a coach, a great coach, is somebody who's a dominant figure, somebody who has all the answers. And if you start asking questions, if you start giving them a say in how things are done, they'll think you're indecisive and they'll maybe think you don't know what you're talking about. So right away, you have to be a little bit more authoritarian than you typically would just to get people on side that you know what you're talking about. And then over time, you can start trying to create an environment where they feel safe to answer questions. But then again, you've got the cultural factors bubbling under the surface that they don't want to lose face by getting the answer wrong in front of the rest of the group. So you've really got to work on that. And it takes like it takes a long time. But eventually, after you've understood the culture, after you've learned about it, and you've identified which of your ideas can help improve performance within that environment, you can start to tweak things, but it's it's a process. And you really need to think think it through very carefully. You've really, really summed up beautifully there, Blaine. And and I resonate again with so much having an experience, had an experience in Asia. And that, yes, I can distinctly remember trying to be friendly and inclusive and thinking, what 
they're not really they're not really is it me is it them and i think you've hit the nail on the head blaine is that they are looking at you as the the you know if you if you are the the head coach they were looking at me as um they wanted me to give them the answers and to and to actually tell them what to do and and to ask them to do this that and the other come back and 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 not not to and it took a while um and even at the end of you know after a, a year they they weren't comfortable with with responsibility beyond the simplest things they were much happier doing simple things coming back having the box ticked rather than stretching themselves and i think your your description of saving face which you talk about in your book as well about that was it the grandfather or the the, the parent um y- your story which <laughs> it's a great story maybe you can tell that but you you've got it and and it 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 underlines and exemplifies the the cultural the need for cultural understanding to, in order to succeed you can be the greatest coach in the world but if if you don't uh, oil the wheels with that understanding you're going to struggle aren't you yeah, and that's one of the things, like literally what you just said there, one of the coaches that won titles in Asia, he said there's a million better coaches than me in the world, but there's not many coaches that can understand the religious requirements of the players, the cultural requirements, and how to get the best from that, because like ultimately that's what's going to determine your success in foreign countries. Absolutely. I think, and just on that, and uh, one of the one of the things that worked so well when I was in Asia was, Friday was their prayer day. So so they all went to the mosque. And so we used to do a really light training session on a Friday morning. And I'd make sure that by the the right time, they were all finished. They could all go and get showered, get their, you know, the, the costume on and go. And I, you know, I actually eat, used to go to the mosque with them. And I actually found it a, a beautiful experience, re- really. And that in itself that was a like a respectful thing that they saw that as an ultimately respectful thing. And and that gave me so much leeway Blaine to with them. Um, and, and again, that comes back, doesn't it to an understanding of, of, of the environment that you're in. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant because many foreign coaches can come in and say, you're a professional sports person. Why are you getting up at 5am? Like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? The day before a game, what are you doing that for? And right away, you've completely lost them. Whereas the approach you took, they'll respect you for that. And right away, they're going to be listening a lot more to you. They're going to be buying into what you're trying to do a lot more than if you hadn't taken that approach. So, as I said, again, that's that's a starting point. It's developing on a human level first yeah. before the football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What was it like? And this is a big question for everybody who, and, and I think, for everybody who goes abroad and works abroad and and what was it like for you when you left home uh you know for a long-term thing or first time um what kind of emotions did you go through and any doubts and 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 all that kind of thing because i i I don't believe anybody uh does this kind of thing without going through some kind of emotional struggle or turmoil at some point what was it like for you yeah, well, the starting point is the airport's the worst part. Like saying goodbye to your family at the airport when you know you're not going to see them for a prolonged period of time. Like there's there's always tears. Like that's always a very difficult moment and like it never gets easier. And even over time, that gets harder as well because life changes. And that's that's very, very difficult. 
But in terms of, like, especially when I was going to Thailand, I was academy director of a professional club at the age of 25. I've never got that opportunity back in the UK. So there was massive imposter syndrome in terms of, like, I only got the job because I helped a physio with his A-licensed coursework a year before. And, like, these kind of jobs don't get advertised. So, like, I was very fortunate to get that because I, like, I helped someone without asking for anything in return. And... Like going in there, it's very, very stressful. Like especially where I was, I was in northeastern Thailand. Like there were very, I didn't day to day, I didn't see any foreigners. No one spoke English. Like it was, it was a very, very interesting environment. It felt like all eyes are on you. Kind of people want you to feel things coming in, working for the big club in the region. Like it was a very, very difficult transition. And I'm like I made lots of mistakes early on because I was still learning. Like I was twenty five, I was still learning about coaching. I was still learning how to do things. Like, you know what being an academy director it's a very it's a very intense job mm. and also the fact that i was hired as a quick fix as well because the president's son was the academy director yeah. before and like he had he had made a, a number of mistakes in terms of he linked up with another club to use their 17 year olds to play in the thai youth league for us but then he, he got rid of the coach and a lot of the players left after that because they wanted to play for that coach and they moved the 15 year olds up into the 17 year olds age group yeah. And they're competing. Our first game is against Buru Ram United, who are one of the biggest clubs in Thailand. They recruit all around the country. Thousands of players turn up. They bring them in. They house them. They educate them. Whereas they, they were all 17 as well. Whereas we had the best 15-year-olds from our region because we didn't have any facil like accommodation facilities and things at that stage. So like initially, the results weren't good. And in this area of the world, like that's basically the barometer for success. People just look at results. They can't see the bigger, bigger picture. Yeah, for... For numerous reasons so and the only reason i really survived that was because the president's son had been raised in new zealand so he understood that my approach was very different than what had been mm -hmm. done before but it's only because he'd been outside that environment if he had been only been within that one environment like i could have been sacked after a couple of games because ultimately they need a scapegoat when things are going wrong the person at the top's never going to take responsibility so just to get, get rid of the person in yeah. charge but yeah, thankfully we survived the first eight months to get through that season because when we arrived the season already started, so I couldn't register any new players. So we got through those first eight months, got the players into the right age groups, and then immediately results improved, and you're a hero. But it's just literally because the players weren't the weren't in the right age groups. And we obviously we tried to change a lot of things on the side as well, because in Asia, all they focus on education is such a big focus, and they see sport as a massive distraction to that. Yeah. But we gave scholarships, so eventually we had housing facilities. We give scholarships to study at university alongside playing, and the grades improved alongside playing football. Which because we we really reinforced the importance of it because so many academies weren't reinforcing the importance of it, so their grades were suffering because they're playing so much football because no one was actually checking their grades and making sure that they were doing the right thing. So like we factored in all these kind of things, and like even in the countryside as well, we had three players end up in a motorbike accident in one week. So then we had to renovate the truck to give them a safer way to get to the pitch because like thousands of young people die every year in the roads here. So like there's so many different elements to it. Yeah. And just learning about the cultural things, it was like it was a huge challenge initially. And then also living in a place where I didn't have any friends outside of work. Like it was just the Thai staff. I didn't really I met I'd speak to the, the foreign head coach of the first team, but like, there's always a disconnect sometimes between the academy and the first team because like everyone's very busy, we train at the same time and things. So yeah, outside of work, it was just 24-7. I couldn't really escape it. I'd be going out in town. People would be taking pictures of me just because they, they recognized me from the club. Like, it was, 
yeah, it was a very it was a very lonely existence. Like some days, some days off, I'd just fly to Bangkok just to kind of escape that bubble. So really, yeah, like psychologically, it was very difficult. And but I knew I had to keep maintaining the relationship with the president's son. So Sundays were game day in the Thai Youth League. I was always very stressful. And my whole life, like I never, I'm not a big drinker. I'd never go out much because as a coach, you can't really. But every Sunday evening, I go out and have some drinks with the president's son. Number one, to keep him on side. But then also, I just need that release from the job because it was just, it was all encompassing. Yeah. And you touch on, on a number of things there. One of the things is downtime. And again, I think that's a key What's it's a key aspect of being able to or needing to manage that Blaine, isn't it? Because they are the times when you start to think about family, you start to think back home. If it's not, you know, it's not you don't always look you you don't always live in a place where it's it's certainly not perfect. You know, you might not have many friends around. People go back to their own families or dormitories or whatever it is. Um, sometimes you know it. Your foods, it's not, it's not what you're used to, and and all those kind of things come into play. So, I think managing your own downtime, um, and your whole life, uh, again, is a key thing to to longevity, isn't it? Yeah, and just even hearing people speak your own language as well. Sometimes I listen to podcasts just to hear people speak English because around me it was just it was a hundred percent Thai all day every day, and like the key thing is like. You should never go to a country and expect people to adapt to you and no. make you feel comfortable. Like you're the one that's decided to come here. So you've got to try and embrace yeah. it as much as possible. And for me, like now I live in Phuket. And when I go to the beach in the mornings, like it's just all foreigners, it's all Europeans. I kind of miss that Northeast element of Thailand, like the music, the smells, the sounds. Like it was real. It's the best way to immerse yourself and understand and learn about a country. And then also you have to speak the language every day as well. So you pick, you pick things up. But like it's the best cultural experience like I've ever had in my life. But in the book, one of the coaches kind of warns you about going to places like that. You have to like if you want a nice, comfortable life, then going to America is a lot more easier to adapt, more comfortable socially, you'll be fine. And even in like major cities within Asia, like you can go to the main cities and you'll meet people. There'll be lots of expats, you can do things. But when you get posted in a place far away from the city where there aren't many foreigners and things, like it takes a certain type of person to be able to manage that because like, it's not easy, but I was at a great stage of my career where I was just 100% career focused. That was the only thing that mattered in my life. And at that time, it was okay. But like doing those kind of things now, it's kind of the way I've, I've changed tack a bit in terms of like living in Phuket. It's a lot more comfortable. There's more expats around. It's, it's a more comfortable lifestyle. But like back then, I was ready for that. And like, I don't regret any of the experiences because they've, they've made me into the person I am today and like where I am today. So yeah, Absolutely. amazing cultural cultural experiences. Absolutely. And again, I think you've hit on another great point. You don't know where you're going to fully. Yes, you've an idea, you've a vision. You, you know, you get told all. You and again, you know, you you mentioned this in your book. Look, with the greatest respect to everybody, the things you get told are not always the absolute reality that you're going into. And when I look back, Blaine, the fondest memories, the greatest experiences. And the most meaningful times were absolutely nothing to do with glitzy hotels, nothing to do with shiny airports, nothing to do with great facilities, but everything to do with pure, un, unaltered reality of, of life at its at, at, at its most 
most real, really, with people living their own lives in busy cities with, you know, look, let's be honest about it, poverty around you, um, tragic circumstances around you, um, people struggling and, you know, a lack of facilities uh, compared to what you're used to in, in the UK. And but in reality, as you said, those are the things that really make make you um, and 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 are imprinted upon your memory, aren't they? Yeah, it teaches you so much as well. Like when I was in Malawi, like that was one of the poorest countries in the world per capita. The the World Bank said, and they're the happiest people you've seen in your lives when the when the other teams are playing. They'd be singing at the side of the field. Like it just it just teaches you to put things into perspective. Like you learn so much from these different experiences. And also back home, people will tell you like, oh, this country's bad, that country's bad. But when you go and experience it for yourself, you realize it's nothing like the perception and the media and different things will tell you. So like, it just teaches you to be open-minded. And that's like one of the best lessons you can have. Like like travel is the best life experience you can have. It just yeah. teaches you so much when you leave, you leave your own bubble and everything you've been taught to believe in. And you realize that there are strengths in other cultures and the way they do things and you can learn, you can learn from it. So just... um how how would you compare your experience of the Malawian culture, the African culture, compared to the Asian culture? Um, and you know, maybe just tell us how you got how you got into Malawi in terms of your your coaching journey into there, because that's a you know a nice little aspect to your to your journey too. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I just basically saw on Twitter about an academy in Malawi so I kind of reached out to them and they encouraged me to come in for a for a month to do coach education to take things in the academy and that was a great great experience like they're, they're making real change in people's lives there so they do they scout all around the country they bring the best players in they give them education they give them food and it's just it's just some of the constraints you're dealing with there like some trialists came in and then we asked them for a translator after training how they felt and they're like, their feet felt so heavy because they've never played in football boots before. Their tummies felt so full because they'd never been so well fed before Dude. playing. They'd never played on grass. They'd never left their hometowns. So it's just factoring all these things in. And then also you look at their birth certificate and things, and it probably wasn't actually their birth certificate. Like their no. ages have been altered. You can see in the pen, pen changed it because <laughs> they wanted to get recruited for this academy, which would, would change their lives. So they all got beards. Yeah. They're 15 yeah. and got <laughs> beards. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was an amazing like amazing experience and then we did coach education with some local local coaches then we went to watch them coach in the satellite center and yeah it was it was just such an amazing amazing experience and then yeah i had similar similar experiences but i wasn't i wasn't really there long enough to understand the culture in real in real depth like i've understood about the realities of the positions they're in but i know the asian culture a lot more in depth right. and there are a lot of similarities and things but obviously there, there's differences in terms of the constraints mm -hmm. and things and depends what country you're in in terms of like china is very different from thailand and south africa is very different from malawi so there's lots of different mm -hmm. different factors to bear in mind okay right your book so um I, I was elated when i saw that you'd written a book and and it's a perfect um i thought well i've got to get that anyway and then that's obviously was the catalyst to to bringing you bring you on the podcast plane because um you know you've you've got everything that, that's of interest to us here so what was the inspiration first of all behind it and then tell us about writing it because as you know as we've talked about briefly before we re started recording look to anybody who hasn't written a book 
who thinks it's easy, well, it ain't. So tell us about the inspiration and then actually doing it because it's um it's quality. Yeah, well, a couple of years ago, I wrote a blog on coaching abroad and it just seemed to resonate with a lot of people. I got a lot of messages and like on Twitter and things, on LinkedIn, I get constantly people asking me about how can I get jobs abroad? How can I coach abroad? And I just felt like that was the thing that resonated most with people. And then also for myself as well, like I wrote it for a younger version of myself coming through university. Like this book would have been gold dust for me back then in terms of like actually how you go and get these jobs because so many people are stuck in their bubbles or networks within one place. They're not sure how to make that jump to other countries. And then also the fact of like how you succeed there because, and also I looked in the books and things, there, there were no books on coaching abroad. There's like one book on playing abroad, but it didn't really go into as much as much detail. So, and also for me, I didn't want to write it purely by myself. I wanted to learn from other coaches that have been in similar positions, so gaining different perspectives, and also people that are different moments in their career. So some that are a bit more, I've been coaching for fifty odd years abroad and things, and people have just kind of gone out in the past 10, 10 or so years. So I wanted to gain different ideas, different elements from it, and just basically create an ultimate guide that can help people bring their football ambitions to reality because there's so many people aren't getting the opportunities they deserve at home. And the reality is, if you want to work full-time in football, you're going to have to leave home. So this is kind of what I wanted to do, step-by-step. Step. It talks about lifestyle, how do you adapt to different countries. There's two cult chapters on culture in terms of like managing up the things you have to deal with that like, will blow your mind, some of the things you have, know, you have to deal with. I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> and then the other chapter on culture is about how to adapt your coaching approach. Like, does your session, do your sessions fit in all these countries? How do you deal with individuals one-to-one? -one? How do you deal with groups and get the best from them? Because that's ultimately what you have to do to succeed. And then we kind of couple that with a coach's chapter and an educational chapter. It could be networking, social media, and then building up towards looking at how you develop your own profile. So, like, what does your CV look like? How do you improve your performance? How do you develop a reputation in the game to get jobs? And then basically building, building from there. But it all kind of came together during COVID when I had the time to do it. And football kind of stopped. Talks about becoming an assistant technical director in a country of 100 million people. And then COVID just kind of shut everything down. Before that, I was meeting people in multiple countries, thinking the world's my oyster. And like everything just, the football world kind of fell apart for, for a while. So, which is kind of worked out well for me. I was able to write the book. I was able to kind of take a different direction in my life because before I was constantly thinking, I have to get this job, I have to do this, I have to do that. I was always living in the future. I wasn't really living in the moment. So I kind of changed chasing long-term goals because like in football, there's such a lack of stability. It brings so much anxiety thinking, oh, can I get this job? Like what are the, the COVID requirements to get in? Like there's so many different elements to it. And I just basically started living from three values. And if I'm doing these values, the link goals link these values every day, that's what's going to bring me happiness. And sometimes you think you're working in football to try and sort of impress other people to build your credibility when it's not always necessarily the thing that makes you happiest. So it's kind of just taking a change intact. And yeah, it's brought about a book and it's brought about a different mindset in terms of how I approach things. You know what, Blaine? It's wonderful to hear some of the things you've just said because you, you know, you, you set out to write a book and you took advantage of an opportunity when a lot of people would, you know, it was easy to sit down and bemoan the fact that you couldn't coach because of the the, the pandemic. And, you know, you you made, you know, you made gold out of gold dust, really, if kind of thing, or, or you know, you created something when it was, uh, you know, you, you had the opportunity. Um, and 
you know, you also invited other people to to join that, and and it sounds, you know, well, it is a great project. I mean, I've, you know, I've I've got the fruits of it here. It's it, it's fantastic, and like you say, there's not a dearth of things out there like it to inspire people. So I'm hoping this podcast will will help with that. And um, were the times when you were writing it that you that you thought, do you know what, this isn't going to get done? Were there any challenges that you can remember as you and thought, cracky, what have I taken on? Anything like that? Yeah, just finding a publisher who believes in you because, like, it's, it's difficult. I'm I'm not from an academic background. Like, I wasn't in a very high class in school. So, like, for me to write a book is, yeah, it's an un- unbelievable achievement. But, yeah, there were loads of ups and downs. So, initially, you're so enthusiastic you have ideas in your head but like constantly things are always changing like you, this idea is not going to work the publisher doesn't like that and you got to constantly adapt and things and also just trying to keep in touch with the coaches so our coach got sacked during it so i had the story up to date then the coach got sacked and trying to keep communication with these guys and things because obviously head coaches are very busy so you don't want to take up too much of their time so there are lots of kind of things like that and just basically the, the ideas are coming and going but the thing is, I'm just proud. I'm proud of it. And even I just yeah. want to, the main thing was, I was just trying to help as many people as possible. I want to try and make the book as cheap as possible because you want to make money from things, you create an online course. But I wanted to write a book because that stands the test of time and it's more accessible for mm. more people. And basically, I just want to try and help help as many people as possible bring their football ambitions into reality, which will ultimately like it change my life. And I want others to have that experience as well. Well, I certainly think it's going to do that. But I've got absolutely no doubt. And one of the reasons that I wanted you on is that so that we can, we can, you know, we can promote it um, unreservedly because it needs to be done. Um, there are thousands of people, young people, um, undoubtedly, who would absolutely love to kind of feel that they could do something like like you've done. And look, you know, as with everything, not everybody's going to do it. We know that. And it's not. We're not trying to get everybody to do it, but but those who who have got the desire to do so, um, this book will inspire, um, it will educate, and it will actually show you a pathway. Um, not not look, there's no guaranteed pathway, and nobody's going to get it laid out for them step by step. But it's you've illustrated beautifully about look, just take the first step, and the next one will open up for you if you're courageous enough to face face the first step. And I think your life journey exemplifies that Blaine in in, in in a lovely way so um a you know first of all congratulations on the book and um it is available from Amazon isn't it and um I'm sure you know there's possibly one or two other places as well but um I think that's probably the simplest way to get it isn't it Blaine yeah you can get it in paperback and Amazon UK US Australia and, and Kindle Kindle as well the, 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 one of the main things as well is like you don't have to go abroad for the rest of your life you can go and do a summer placement like I did and see if it's for you so just kind of a, approaches it that way as well and then you can make the decision about what you want to do for the rest of your life but i just feel that when you've had these different experiences it's only then you know what you want from life like you've got to step outside your comfort zone and the things that you've all you've known your whole life to really learn about yourself and then see what you want from the world absolutely and um you know um there's yourself and you know you know matt ward yeah i know matt ward yeah and obviously there's yourself and matt and matt you know matt's Listen, Matt's the similarities between yourself and Matt in terms of Matt. Matt's written a book on, on his journey, and um, you know, I know he's helped a lot of people, and um, I certainly kept in touch with Matt myself, and uh, he's, you know, we've had a, 
Um, I think, yeah, I was on his podcast. So he's done some great things. And and, and I see you also being a, look, you know, a leading light in this. You know, you're young and blammy, you know, to to do this at your age, mate, is, is you know, it, it, it's fantastic. And um, what's, having having heard you just say that um, COVID taught you to sit back and, gosh, I resonate so much with it as, you you know, you live in the football bubble and you're always thinking, right, what's next? And there's that opportunity open and, and you know, networking and thinking, right, what's my next stage, my next qualification? And, and do I need to be doing this? And it's so unstable at times that you're always got that open mind about where, where to go next. But the the pandemic situation seemed to kind of, you, you embrace that in, in a way. You, you didn't come home in that time. You stayed abroad. Is that right? Yeah, so I was in Cambodia. So I left Singapore in November and I left there without having another club lined up. So I went to meet people in the Philippines, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand. And I was in Cambodia and then it, the storm started kicking off. And this guy called me in New Zealand. He's like, come and live with me for six months. So I flew to New Zealand, lived in his his bedroom, one of his bedrooms for six months. And I created online, online courses. And that's when the kind of the book idea came through as well. So like, I was very fortunate. But then again, that's because like I went there originally to do a PhD and I was observing local coaches and just like, in the rain, hail, snow. I didn't know who this guy was, but like I helped him and then eventually he, he helped me years later. So it's just just help helping people and then that'll create opportunities for you. And you never know when they'll repay that repay that favor. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what okay, here's one. And maybe you can just bat this one off because um maybe it's a false question after what you said, but um What's next for you, Blaine? Have you got anything else lined up that you want to share or you're not sure or is it just take it day by day still? Um, I've definitely changed. Like before COVID, I was, I was completely different. I was purely career oriented. I was chasing things. Whereas now I have a lot more balance. Like I'm living in a place that I love at the moment. And I've been coaching. I stepped away from full-time coaching. I'm doing a bit of part-time coaching in an international school. And to be honest, that's been the best thing for me because I've fallen back in love with it again. Because sometimes when you're in it all the time, it can it can wear on you a lot. So I've taken that step back. I've been a full time offer for a, for a while, for a year or two, and then now I'm coaching part time. I feel like I love it that much that I might eventually go full time in an in international school in that kind of environment because like it's a lot more stable. Because the people I've been talking to, I was going to join a federation with someone. He's not in that job anymore. I was going to join a professional club. He got sacked after three months. And I'm thinking to myself, is that really the lifestyle I want? I want to be living in my suitcase three months here, four months there. Or would I much rather go into an environment where, because my passion is sports psychology as well. In an international school environment, I can use my sports psychology um, plans. I can build a football program that can make a difference in the lives of young people. And I can have that stability. And also the fact that, like the holidays are different when you work in football full time, you barely get any holidays. You're there to service the job, whereas international schools, it's a lot more balanced. You get your summers off, you get your public holidays, like you get a lot of time off because you just get the school holiday. So it's mm. I'm still coaching, I'm still loving it. And that doesn't mean I'm any less passionate as a coach because I'm not coaching at a high the highest level possible, but like it's just helped me fall back in love with it again. And I think that's the path I might go down, to be honest. Well, that's a, a beautifully uh explained in a vulnerable answer as well because I fully hear you and to actually stand up and say within a professional circle look I'm not sure whether I want to do this full-time 
you'd get looks from people who work in pro clubs like they they would think you've lost the plot, you know, thinking, well, where's your ambition? You're not in at seven o'clock in the morning. You're leaving before three. You're interested in other things. You're not for us. You know, that that is still a mantra in 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 the pro pro circles and 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 you know i think we both recognize that and it's lovely to hear because what's what's more authentic blaine than your journey of life following your passion which at this current stage you're saying i've fallen back in love or or with with the thing that um that that used to fire me up as a as as a young man and, and i've found a balance in life that just feels right i mean it's it sounds like you know a great place to be, pal. For me, so uh, you know, respect. Yeah, and it's just based on all previous life experiences. Like I've lived in a city that basically left me hospitalized. Like I couldn't drink, I couldn't eat my fruit clothes because the pollution in one country I was in. Like it was a horrible, horrible position to be in. But I was lying in my condo there, thinking I was by myself, thinking like football can't always be there for you. You need something else in life. Like before, it was just like everything is football. This is my whole life. I don't need anything else. Whereas now you, you grew older, you experience different things and you realize like you need more balance. And I can still be in the game. I can just be as passionate as any professional coach at a professional club. I can still be as passionate enough to develop myself and push myself. And eventually I'll keep developing and I might one day go back in if the opportunity presents itself. But if not, like I've experienced both sides of it. And yeah, it's just, a, it's a much, it's a much better lifestyle. And I'm living in the moment for the first time ever. I'm not worrying about getting sacked. I'm not worried about is this job going to come up in the future? I'm basically the happiest I've ever been. And for me, that's that's success in itself. It's not about what my job title is. It's not about what my salary is. It's not what, what about people are saying about me. Like, it's just, I have contentment with me. And that's like, for me, now I realize that is the ultimate goal. But I've, I had to say that to myself at the start, like I would not have thought that, but just over time you realize that coaching is a tough industry and I can still coach, but then I can have more balance now. So it's it's perfect. Blaine, I actually think that um, that's a, almost a perfect way to kind of conclude the, the the podcast, really, because we've started out on the journey. You, you told us where you started, and now you've come to the full circle at the moment, as far as you've come to this particular point, and brought us to a, a fabulous point. So um, I'd like to thank you for your time, Blaine. Um, I'd like to thank you for your for your book, because it is valuable and I'll be talking about that and at every opportunity I'll be telling people to get a hold of it. And if anybody's interested in coaching, no matter how old you are, no matter what your ambitions, and if anything that Blaine said has resonated with you, then look, do yourselves a favour and um, invest less than a tenner and uh, get yourself a book because um, there's something in it for you, I I absolutely promise you. And um, so listen, Paul, thanks for coming on. You've been... um, absolutely brilliant and it's just been a perfect kind of journey through your life um so i'd like to thank you for that and um keep up the great work mate and i'll be watching out to see what um what happens next yeah yeah thanks for having me i love these i love these conversations talking to like like like-minded people that have been in in the same position as you so yeah i've enjoyed it a lot great stuff all right blaine listen i'll uh, catch you later thanks very much well what a great chat that was with Blaine and uh, thank you so much Blaine it was so enlightening and it came in a perfect circle really we started to chat about Blaine's early life in the beginning of the podcast and we ended up where Blaine 
just naturally went on to talk about where he was and how he'd found a real place of peace and contentment and happiness in his life. And there's some fundamental learnings from Blaine's journey that I just wanted to touch on before we close the podcast. The first one is the the inherent value of courage. Here's a, a young man who had the courage to follow his dream. As I said to Blaine, there's many, many, many coaches who say, yes, I'd love to coach abroad, I'd love to do this, I'd love to do that. But when it comes down to it, only a few will. And of course, we recognise that people have different challenges at different stages of life. But one thing you certainly need to follow your dream is courage. But as Blaine's story so beautifully illustrates, if you provide the courage, the universe will provide the rest. You have to face your fears, which is essentially what courage is. And it's not a free ride. There are many challenges, as there are with anything. So, listen, choose your cross. You know, you're going to be crucified anyway. Just pick your cross, whichever one it is. Stay at home and be sad and miserable and regret. Or go abroad and face the challenges that you're given. Look, it's not as simple as that. And I'm not criticising anybody who does not go abroad. But the message is simple from Blaine's story. Every time he left his family, and every time you leave your family and go back, you will have tears welling up inside you. It's tough. But it's a price you pay. Another lesson that comes through from Blaine's story and journey is that it isn't all about qualifications. In fact, qualifications, although necessary, are externally projected onto us by organisations. And they're there for a reason. To allow employers to ascertain the degree of competence that a potential employee may have. They're also there to educate, but it is not all about qualifications. It is about experience and living life. And Blaine illustrates that so beautifully. And I think the greatest thing that he said was that this journey has enabled him to find himself. So through leaving home, following his dream, working hard, taking one baby step after another. He's found a place where he realises currently that maybe coaching full-time with all the pressures of that and the stresses of that is not necessarily where he wants to be right now. But living in a place that he finds happiness and is able to coach in an environment that is really working for him and he can contribute is the real value. It's a great story. It's also a great book. And 
It's a great example from somebody who's at the cutting edge. Blaine McKenna, thank you very much. True respect. Catch you later. Bye-bye. The Leader Manager Coach podcast is available via the Leader Manager Coach app. Download it now to access the rich resource of unique, insightful, and educational material to help you on your own journey in football, sport, and life. Leader Manager Coach. For the game. For life. Available now on Google Play and Apple App Store.